This is Ultimate Leverage, and I am Ricardo Pelayo. Ultimate Leverage was created to help raise awareness of the power that we all have within ourselves to influence and experience life in the way we prefer. No matter what it is we want, nothing moves in the direction that we want unless we choose to. And, and we do that with our thoughts and shifting our emotions. And my intention is to depict the statement above, above by allowing my guests to share their own experience on what it takes to live a fulfilled life, what takes them to live a fulfilled life, life where satisfaction on a regular basis is the measure of the quality of their lives. Today, I have with me Rehman Akhtar to talk about the positive effect that being in a good mood purposefully causes in our lives. Professional inspirational speaker with humor, property investor and stand-up comedian, Rehman has done TV work all over the world including the BBC, is a positive-minded, affable, and natural mood uplifter, always with a great attitude. I've been always fascinated by the capacity that stand-up comedians have to take us to time and places with uh, characters and situations that make us pause, the constant chatter we carry with us, and have a laughter, and the uplifting impact that it has in our life. Rechman, welcome, and thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much indeed, Ricardo. What a lovely introduction. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Greetings from Saudi Arabia. How sunny is Saudi Arabia compared to London? Oh, gosh. It's, it's sunny out there today and it's actually getting hotter as we move closer to the, the summer months here. Uh, you know, we're only in uh, April at the moment, but it is warming up very nicely. So I'm looking forward to the, the, the sort of solid heat of the June, July, August months when it can yeah. Over 50 degrees centigrade. Can you believe that? <laughs> wow. Wow. I, I know that because I've been, I lived in Seville for a few years. All right. Summer is really, really hot. It's incredible. So, um, Ray, if you don't mind, we can start, uh, you know, finding out more about you. Absolutely. So, um, how often do you visit England? I, I heard that you've been living in Saudi Arabia for the last 18 years, but you grew up in West London, right? What do you miss about uh, living in England? <laughs> what do I miss about living in England? I, oh, I do really miss the weather. I miss paying income tax. And, you know, gosh, the traffic. I, I so miss the traffic. <laughs> are you hearing the sarcasm? <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> no, there are certainly some big advantages to living out in the Middle East. It's, a one, it's been a wonderful gig. Yeah, I have been out here for about 18 years now. Since 2001, it's been a wonderful place to bring up the family. Um, but there are elements of living in London that I really, really do miss. You know, they say that you can take the boy out of London, but you can't take London out of the boy. And that's so true. I do come back at least once a year on my summer vacations. So we do come back. Obviously, I still have family um, in London, my mom and my brothers and sisters. And I do pop over every now and then for shorter trips um, when business uh, brings me back for sort of um, meetings and things. So I would say three or four times a year, I would come back one long trip and a few short ones. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Maybe one day I catch you up and then we can do one of these uh, face to face. It'll be great. It would be a pleasure. I'll come down to Mill Hill. I think you're in, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Perfect. That's right. So um, I, I noticed because obviously uh, I've been uh, wanted to uh, learn about you and I've been uh, watching your your shows. They're fantastic, really. <laughs> and uh, actually, no. 
And um, uh, but I also uh, noticed that we actually have a, a few Facebook uh, um, friends in common, and and they all are from the the property business time that I've been that uh, you know training myself to become a sophisticated investor. And uh, so I'm I'm just curious. I mean, what what got you to be involved uh, in in the property business and investment? Mm. Well, when I came out here in 2001 suddenly you had a little bit more disposable income than I used to have. Uh, I wasn't sure though, how long I would have that. Would I out, be out here for a year? Would I be here for five years, 10, 20, whatever? Um, and I thought, look, the old saying of you make hay while the sun shines. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make, take advantage of the disposable income that I had. And I knew that I wanted to invest it towards the future. And for me, it was a no brainer, to be very honest. Property has always attracted me as, a, as a, a way of investing money. It's a tangible investment vehicle. I do like the cut and thrust of putting a property deal together. Um, so it attracted me a lot more than the less tangible kind of ways of uh, perhaps uh, stocks and shares, for example. I've never really been into that. So I know a lot of people have made money through stocks and shares, but for me, property was the way to go. I initially attracted me. Yeah. <clears throat> Wonderful. And what made you move to Saudi Arabia? A job offer I couldn't refuse. <laughs> I, oh, okay. I was having, I was having a, a sort of a moderate success uh, in the UK. Uh, I'd been through various kinds of types of jobs. I've had times when I've been in financial services. I, I worked uh, in retail management. And then I came into the big wide world of IT. And just before coming out of Saudi for a few years, I specialized um, in the world of SAP. Uh, which is an enterprise resource planning software. And um, I became a, a consultant, uh, an SAP consultant. And it just so happened that the world's largest oil company was implementing SAP and they needed people with my skills. So I came out here initially as, a, as an external consultant or a contractor that works for another company but is placed with a client. The client happened to be the company I now work for as a direct hire employee. Um, and 18 years later, here I am still in the same company and they're keeping me nice and happy. <laughs> Fantastic. That's, that's really, really good. Mm. So, uh, and, and, uh, but, but on the, and on this, at the same time, you actually, um, uh, spending some of your time, uh, doing your, your shows, your stand up uh, shows. Yeah. As a comedian. Yeah. yeah. I mean, stand up comedy has been like a, a constant thread throughout my life, whatever else I've done. So regardless of what other sort of full-time daytime occupation I've had, and initially, you know, you start just watching comedy and just enjoying, everyone likes humor, right? You know, it's a very good release of energy. It's release of stress. So who doesn't like to laugh? Absolutely. For me though, it became a little bit more than, than just a stress relief because I, I kind of grew up in a fairly rough neighborhood. Um, in West London, where I was kind of uh, picked upon and verb verbally, yeah, verbally and physically abused for just being brown. And that didn't seem very fair to me at that age, but it was a reality that I grew up in. Um, and around about the age of 11, I took a, a very empowering decision. And if you ask me now, what made you take such a big decision at such a young age? I still couldn't tell you, to be honest, Ricardo. But I, I wanted to show people that I was more than just a punch bag you know, or something to let their stresses out on. And so I noticed that in the local social club, they announced a talent contest. And even those days I could, I could tell a mean joke. I was the kid in the playground who would be able to tell a, a good joke. So uh, as 
Hardest Talent Contest, I entered uh, as a stand-up comedian, performed a 20-minute routine to 300 people at the age of 11. And lo and behold, I actually won the competition um, to my surprise. Uh, and I just never looked back. That, I feel, was a, a life-defining moment for me. And why do I say that? Because I feel that I crossed over this fence. This, I came to the realization at that young age that you don't always necessarily have to play the victim. Mm. You don't have to pander to other people's image of you. So these other kids, these other people around me just saw me as this little brown Asian kid. And anytime you wanted to, you could go and kick him and you know he won't respond to you. Yet I exchanged their impression of me through this act. And I gained an inner confidence that never left me. I knew that I could do what I wanted to do, not what right. I So yeah, it was a great addition to my life. I think that is really, really, really amazing. The, 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 the fact, I mean, it's funny how we actually can take that, that to, to a late age and still, you know, struggling sometimes with what people can say about me. Uh, but, but, you know, having that courage at the age of 11 and that understanding and, and, and moving forward and not allowing anybody to just to, to, to squash your confidence and, and, and find something that you're really passionate about. I think that is... Liberating. Uh, That's the word I would use. Absolutely liberating. Before that day, I felt I was in a straitjacket living to other people's rules and to other people's opinion of me. And I found that by doing that, I was able to then say, hang on, I can do anything I want. And I ended up you know, breaking free of these chains. I can only call them chains, which are really made in your own mind. And I've used that ever since. And I'm teaching other people to also break free of these kinds of things. <laughs> um, I like it. I like it. So you, you are a man that seems to be in a good mood all the time. <laughs> do you ever get angry? What do you do to be back in that state of mind that makes people? I think that gratitude is the antidote to so many things. And who doesn't get angry, right? Yes, of course, there are things that make you upset and things that happen in your life that come from left field. But I believe it's all about your attitude. Yeah. And I ask myself, what am I going to achieve through anger? Anger is such a self-destructive emotion that if you spend too much time in that zone, it's going to drag you down. Mm -hmm. Anger, remorse, frustration, being upset. So what I try to do as much as possible, I'm human at the end of the day, and I will feel those, all those emotions, but I try and come out of them really quickly. And I've developed mechanisms that allow me to come out of anger, out of being frustrated as soon as possible. I just yeah, spend too much time in that zone. Fantastic, perfect. Tell us one of those. Tell, tell us at least one of them. I hang around with people who are really positive. I don't hang around with people who make me angry. Uh, you pick up the phone and you call them to, to, for a drink absolutely. or something? Absolutely. Uh, I go out running. I will go watch a, a comedy clip on YouTube from my favorite comedians. I'll do something which will just uh, change my, my whole attitude. I'll change my physical location. So yeah. if you've got a bit of a situation where you've become frustrated with something, just Go out for a walk. Just go out for a five-minute walk. Um, change your environment and change your mood. I know yeah. these must sound like cliches to some people out there who perhaps um, this area in their lives is a little bit more serious problem. So I know that depression, for example, is very prevalent. And I don't. I, mental health 
is an extremely, extremely serious problem when it tips over the edge and it becomes something which you become a manic depressant, for example. And I, I don't want to underestimate the, you know, the effect that can have on your life. But mm-hmm. as you say, I have tried always to, to be in a happy zone. And, you know, one of those ways is just by sticking around with very positive people. All my friends are people who like to, like to have a laugh and are positive-minded people. And when you, when you come across someone who's, who is always ratty, who is always miserable, and who always finds the negative things in life, there's a very simple strategy called ignore them. Stay away from them. <laughs> and That's <crazy>. for me. <laughs> Is that, is that, well, when, when I was a kid, my mom used to say that, you know, you count on 10, count, count in till, and then you talk. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a very good advice. Uh, I've learned another one uh, later on in life when I find someone who actually somehow attacking me verbally or whatever, and he's like, oh, sorry, I need to go for a wee. <laughs> <laughs> and you count for 10 while you're having a wee. <laughs> So, uh, but it's a good, it's a good, mo- it's, it's a good time for you to actually compose yourself and, 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 and be clear what you have to say, because at the end of the day, if you're angry, you, whatever it comes out of your mouth, it's, 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 wrong, isn't it? you're just going to make the situation worse. And sometimes, exactly. honestly speaking, you know, even in husband wife situations, it's better just to take a deep breath. Okay. I'm going to go away and think about it. And you can't always achieve this. Come on. But as I said, we're humans. Sometimes you will react in a, in a bad way, but um, you need to come back and, and think about this in, in the right light uh, and then be logical about it. So I think all this really, if you wanted to think of an umbrella term for this, it would be emotional intelligence. There's IQ and there's EQ, EI, emotional intelligence. Yes. Or, or emotional quotient, they call it. Um, and I think this is the crux of it. If you are a person who can handle relationships and situations from a position of high emotional intelligence, you won't react in the wrong way and exacerbate an already bad situation with a relative or friend. So you find people with high emotional intelligence having great relationships, generally speaking, and great friendships because people want to hang around with you. You're a positive guy. Absolutely, absolutely. And you attract that sort of people, right, with your own attitude and your behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant. So what, what is your routine to get ready for a show? I guess that being a, in, in a big state of mind is, is very important in your career. Right? Mm. You know, I'm a great admirer of uh, Tony Robbins, um, the self-development expert from the States, you know, the granddaddy of them all, I guess, you know. Yeah. Um, and he talks about this, this whole area of, being in the state. So whenever you're doing something, you first have to physically get yourself in the state. Now, the most number of people that I've done a comedy show in front of is, I believe, 3,000 in the audience. And that was in Bahrain uh, back in my, uh, 2008. Um, and that's pretty much where I, when I turned professional after that. Now, getting in the state, I use visualization. So the, the, the previous few days before a big show, I will imagine myself on stage and imagine the audience in front of me. And I always go look at the venue. I physically like to go and see the venue where I'll be performing, get a sense of the space. So this applies to anything I do, not just comedy shows, but if I'm running a workshop at work, I arrive at that place absolutely in the right state, the right frame of mind. So getting yourself physically ready, you know, just just make sure that you're tidy, you've got a nice tie on, you feel great, right? Look for yeah. a workshop. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, and that's absolutely great. I think I heard you saying that uh, somewhere else as well, maybe another another podcast. Mm-hmm. And I've been hearing recently. It's amazing how you know sometimes you listen to the same thing uh, from from different directions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and this this uh, power of or this idea of visualizing uh, your your best you and the best situation and is such an exercise to 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 really really begin to create positive expectation. Um, I think this is uh, is crucial. It's, it's such a great uh, little nugget. It's fantastic. Well, you Thank you. In, don't you? You zone into the purpose of that uh, performance or that speech or presentation, whatever you want to call it, so that when you're standing in front of your audience, uh, I'm, I'm doing an event uh, tomorrow night, in fact, in Bahrain. I'm speaking at a professional speaker's uh, training course, and I'm going to be speaking to the audience about how to uh, present with humor and make impact and engage an audience. Now, when I stand in front of that audience tomorrow in Bahrain, when I say, I'm absolutely delighted to be standing in front of you here today, I want to mean it. I don't want to say that as a cliche. I want to mean it. So everything, the rituals that I go through between now and then, actually really looking forward to being there. Because when you see someone um, saying it from a position of uh, sincerity, you're going to believe them a lot more than someone who looks like they're reading it off a script. Uh, how would you, I'm going to say it like this. Hi, I'm Rahman Akhtar and um, I am really delighted to be standing in front of you here today to speak to you about engaging audiences. Or, hey, I'm Rahman Akhtar. I'm really delighted to be here. I was so looking forward to being in front of you today to present this. Can you see the difference between the two? Yeah. So, so would you say that that, that simple exercise... Uh-huh. Put you in that big state. Is that put you in that uh, like almost like automatically your your body and your brain are actually in synchronicity, if you like. We communicate with our bodies, our facial yeah. uh, features, our expressions, our words, our intonation. They all all add up to the message, and so you've got to pay attention to everything. Some people put too much attention to the content, but yeah. the delivery, the delivery of how you deliver a message, is much more important. But it's more like um, uh, charged with emotion more than anything else, isn't it? It's just your emotion you're projecting. Well, have you heard two people tell the same joke? And uh, one guy, just like, you didn't get it. You know, you just didn't get the feeling. But another guy can tell the same joke in a different way, perhaps in a different environment. Perhaps you've had more alcohol when you've listened to the joke. But (laughs) it seems funnier, right? So it's it's the same thing. It's all all about delivery and timing. Well, that's so good. I mean, I wish uh, I actually going to become a comedian. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. I was actually going to add you went, you went ahead of me because I was, <laughs> I was going to ask you to give us some cl- some uh, clues about how to write. When you are right there in front of the camera or the audience or, or even the microphone, one thing, I mean, people struggling, like, like me, struggling, uh, you know, in front of the camera, what would be that thing that you actually, uh, you know, some people has like, like, touching points in the, in the body to, yeah. to uh, some people wiggle the, the finger, the, the toes to, um, to make sure that they're actually grounded. It's all sort of different things. I think a lot of people tend to get, I mean, this applies in front of the camera. It applies in front of an audience. I think people um, are very self-conscious. We're all vain on some level, very conscious of how we look, how we come across. And, you know, um, I think that one of the secrets of really doing well in a presentation or in front of the audience or in front of the camera is to make it about the audience, not about you. Before you step on stage, you do as much as possible to make yourself feel comfortable. 
But the moment you step on stage, you switch the focus completely onto the audience. What experience are they getting of you? So stop worrying about your hair. Stop worrying about how good you look in the shirt. Stop worrying if your bum looks big, big in this in this trousers. And just you know, just get into the mode of look. I'm going to give my audience the very very best of me, and I'm going to stop worrying about myself. Stop being self conscious. That's the first step to then be so be comfortable in your skin. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Brilliant. Mm. Brilliant. So that, that's, that's really good. I, want, uh, I wanted to ask you a question, um, and, and this is kind of a little bit of a uh, going uh, in the other direction of what we're talking about, because what we're highlighting here really is uh, how important it is for us to, to consciously you know, keep that uh, state where, where you feel satisfied, where you feel happy, because at the end of the day, nothing comes when you're not in that space. You're in a space of being angry or anything. I'm an architect, so... Uh, it's only when I'm in a good mood that, that the muses, you know, visit us and all that. I mean, in the meantime, you're doing whatever you can. But uh, the good ideas and the inspired uh, actions and all that come from from being in a state of uh, of well-being. Mm-hmm. So and that's what I would love to 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 highlight. But but I wanted to ask you something a little bit more personal. And sorry about the the, the noise. Um, I uh, you know losing a very close member of the family must be really really devastating. And um, um, I know that you, you lost your wife about 14 months ago, and, and I thought that you have a, a, a very, very uh, strong message there. Uh, you managed to pick yourself up and take control of your life again. Um, um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was the, losing my wife, about, as you say, about 14 months ago was probably the most, not probably, it definitely is the most devastating thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Something I wasn't expecting to happen. We'd been married 28 years and Shafia uh, is just, uh, it was just the most perfect partner I could have probably possibly chosen in my life. And, you know, she made me who I am today. We had three wonderful kids and, you know, two of our kids had just got married at the time when she fell suddenly ill. So the timing was all wrong. You know, we were halfway through our lives together and we were looking forward to growing old together and living our lives. So this happened in January, 2018. And of course, initially I had all the range of emotions that you can possibly imagine. You know, you don't, you know that eventually your parents are going to pass away at an old age, but you don't expect to lose your wife halfway through your life. You know? Sure enough. I had um, a crossroads. I had two choices in front of me, two very, very clear choices. Do I spend the rest of my life in this inward looking uh, mode where I just sit there absolutely distressed and depressed and uh, giving up on life? Or can I find some way of building the strength to, to carry on in a positive way, in a way that Shafia would have liked me to live, um, and you know, for our children, and for our future. Because I imagined her sitting there looking at me and being upset if I were you know, sitting there depressed and, and crying. So after the initial bereavement period, I decided that I need to pick myself up. And it's been the biggest test of my positivity I'll ever go through in my life. I like to feel that I've passed. 
And there isn't a single day that I don't think about her. I, I still speak to her in the car when I'm driving to work. So while she's not physically here, I think spiritually she's very, very much part of my life. And I think, again, you know, I said at the beginning, Ricardo, that gratitude is the answer, an attitude of gratitude. So I could, I could choose to focus on the loss. Just as, as an 11-year-old, I could have chosen to focus on the bullies. What I decided to do was po focus on the positive aspects. So I choose to focus on the amazing 28 years that Shafi and I spent together, the amazing times we had. And in fact, I made a speech uh, shortly after she passed away, about six weeks after she passed away. And I called that speech, Make Happy Memories. A speech yeah. for life. And in fact, recently, I've just launched my own podcast and I gave it the same name because I truly believe that life is about making happy memories. And that's the only reason I'm surviving life that we spent almost three decades making amazingly happy memories, whether we were rich or poor, whether I was successful or not, we were happy. It's so powerful. That's the bottom line with life. It's so powerful. I actually wanted to, to ask you about your, your podcast, but it's absolutely, uh, um, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, the, the, the happy memories is what keep them in, uh, with us, really. Is that, uh, is, is keeping, they are here and we bring them here. We're not to bring them here back and, or, or with good memories. I'll give you a very quick example, Ricardo. One thing that was absolutely non-negotiable for my wife was our annual family vacation. Now, wow. even some years, I said, look, you know what? Uh, I don't know whether I can do it this year or let's just do this. Let's just keep it simple. Nope. We're doing our annual vacation. <laughs> and, and so we call them UK Plus. So obviously, we'd go to UK initially to hook up with our families, mom and dad and brothers and sisters. But the plus part was we would visit another country in the world, right? So we've been in Saudi Arabia for 18 years. We've done 18 different countries. Ah. And can you imagine the, the wealth of happy memories that we have? And even in the final year in 2017, just, you know, we, Nadia, our daughter had just got married recently and she was saying, dad, I don't know whether we can quite afford to come with you on your holiday this year. And, and, and when I said this to Shafia, she said, Rahman, you're paying for her flights and her husband and the hotel. They're coming with us. I don't care. So we went to Vienna and had an amazing, what turned out to be a final vacation with Shafia a few months before our son got married. So did you see her insistence at having mm -hmm. these happy memories turned out to be a blessing for us? And we have amazing photos and videos of our final vacation together in Vienna. <laughs> amazing. Fantastic. Fantastic. Happy memories. What a great way. Would you like to talk more about your podcast? Because I got the feeling that you actually... Uh, <sighs> have a similar line of uh, your, your, your intention and purpose with your well, podcast. What I, what I aim to do, so I've only just uploaded the first intro um, kind of episode for the moment because I'm just coping with all the technical and logistical uh, sides of making a podcast. I'm not a young man anymore, so I'm an old dog learning new tricks. <laughs> Perhaps like you are yourself at the moment. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean that in a nice way. <laughs> um, but yes, the podcast is called Make Happy Memories. It's already um, on uh, Anchor. I believe it's on Spotify. I'm waiting for it to upload to iTunes. And I'm going to be basically inviting a series of inspiring guests that support that basic... Um, 
the premise that life is about making happy memories. So inspirational guests in the areas of personal development, health and fitness, and every other aspect of a career development. So mm-hmm. the bottom line is I want to become a little uncle figure to the 20, 30 something year olds out there who are leaving university, perhaps leaving high full-time education and grappling with their first career choices, grappling with finding the right partner and maybe, you know, choosing that right partner. Maybe through my experiences, negative and positive, I can advise them because having that older uncle figure is, is kind of comfortable, isn't it? That you can go to. So Absolutely. make happy memories with Rahman Akhtar. Search it up on wherever you get your, iPhone, uh, you know, your uh, podcasts and I'd be happy to advise you. So welcome. You know, looking forward to working uh, on board. I, I wish I, I wish I had an ankle like that when I was a kid, when I was twenty <laughs> years old. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say that to me, and a lot of people started calling me Uncle Rahman already. Actually, so it's quite uh, it's quite a nice feeling. <laughs> I think I think it's a great thing. I mean, you 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 actually creating in that way, like a, like, like uh, being an uncle for for uh, uh, you know young people, uh, and save them the save them from from the experiences that uh, some of us, I mean, like, like you, like me, had in life. Uh, and the amount of stories that we have that are not necessary, they're not really necessary. It's just uh, another, another brick wall that sometimes actually we, we hit them more than once. Um, <laughs> it's a very privileged position for me. And I, I feel the weight of the privilege and, you know, the weight of responsibility to offer these people the right advice. But I'm, it's something I'm really looking forward to because part of my values in life is I want to pay it forward now. You know, I'm in my 50s and I've lived life and I want to, I want to pay it forward to the kids. Fantastic, fantastic! Uh, I really wish you the best on your podcast, and you have a lot of people uh, taking advantage of your of your uh, wisdom and your advice. Mm-hmm. Now, you you uh, roughly touch your your commitments, and you mentioned that you have something going on in uh, in what is it? Somewhere in Saudi Arabia, right? Bahrain. Uh, I live in a part of Saudi Arabia which is very close to the Bahraini border. So it's very easy for me to cross over into the border in Bahrain. And there's an event happening tomorrow evening where I'll be driving over tomorrow morning and uh, you know, preparing for that. Uh, it's a professional speakers a training course. It's a five-day course. And I'm going to be speaking uh, on the first day there uh, to an audience who are really interested in becoming professional speakers and in enhancing their public speaking skills. And because it's something I've been doing ever since I was 11, so over 45 years now, I'd, uh, I'd like to maybe contribute to them and see if I can teach them how to, how to engage audiences. And I'm also, uh, funnily enough, going to attend the rest of the course because I want to do it as part of my personal development. Because when I retire from this company in a few years' time, I imagine that one of the things I'll be engaged in uh, will be uh, a public speaking and, and training and inspirational speaking, which I've already started now. Wonderful. Are you tomorrow? So you get to be invited uh, to to appear and on stage here in, in London sometimes. I'd love to. I would love to. And I, I you know, I, although I'm in Saudi Arabia, you wouldn't believe how close I really am because I can sit on a plane from here and be in London within six six and a half hours. Yeah. So it, it is sometimes when it's been an important uh, uh, task. I have actually come to the UK for a weekend. So. <laughs> <laughs> pay for my airfare and uh, <laughs> make it worth my while and I'll pop over the weekend <laughs> for dinner just for dinner <laughs> why, not? why not I'd love to <laughs> I like that very much, very much. so um, um, tell me something can you um, can you give us a joke before we, uh, we wrap out <laughs> 
<laughs> this happens to me all the time. You know, people people say, "Oh, you're a comedian. Oh, give us a joke. <laughs> Prove you're funny." <laughs> I, I actually once was at the airport. I, I arrived in Kenya. I was I flew to uh, all the way to Nairobi in Kenya for uh, for a gig um, there for an organization, and I arrived at the airport. And the lady said, "What are you here in this country for?" And I said, "Well, I, I'm here to do an event." She goes, "What kind of event are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm 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 a comedian." And she just looked at me in the face. And the typical question: "Okay, give me a joke. Prove like I have to simply <laughs> prove that I prove that I'm a comedian. Come on!" And people think that I can just flick this little switch and just suddenly become funny. But comedy is so much, you know, seeing the audience gauging the situation, seeing what will make this audience tick. But, uh, but since you've asked me, and I don't want to let you down, I mean, um, the short, sharp jokes are the ones that get me most. So, um, so how about the one where the, um, the Englishman, Irishman, and Scotsman walked into a bar, right? They're always the good ones, aren't they? So the Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman walked into a bar, and the barman said, hey, 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 is this some kind of joke? <laughs> Ooh, you eventually got it. <laughs> I got it, but I have to admit, I'm a little bit sick sometimes, okay? Or there's, or there's the horse that walked into a bar. The horse walks into a bar, sits down, orders a whiskey, and the barman says, hey, why the long face? <laughs> so you can tell I've got a bit of a zany sense of humor. <laughs> But those are the shortest, sharpest ones that I could uh, sort of give you right now. But uh, I hope you, they made you laugh. So that's, that's the intention, right? You release those endorphins in your body that you get when you laugh. And that's, that's uh, all I was going for. <laughs> oh, I think, it's so, I think it's so important. Uh, it's amazing how I, I you know, I'm guilty of um, slashing myself and working so hard and not having breaks or anything like that. I think that we all should go actually to, to visit stand-up comedians or, 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 or listening to stand-up comedians in a, in a regular basis, in a yeah. weekly basis, perhaps. Mm. Once you touched upon, actually, uh, sorry to cut you off there, but you said that I, how do I cope with all these different kind of activities that I have mm -hmm. in life? And I suppose this is something that a lot of people um, face because we're, you know, we're, fathers we're husbands we're sons we're uncles so and these bring their own kind of responsibilities then we have busy work lives and we're trying to run podcasts and i've got property business and i'm doing this public speaking and so the word overwhelm is something that i have to be very very careful of there are mm -hmm. only certain uh, number of hours in the day so yeah. i woke up for example this morning and one of my routines is always to think of my health and fitness first so I went out and did my long run. I do a long run at the weekends, um, usually around 10 kilometers. And uh, then what I do uh, during the weekdays, I run about like three to five kilometers every day. And that's been a great uh, way to overcome my grief as well. I've treated it as, a, as an antidote uh, to, to the grief. And it's really, really helped me. I've actually managed to lose 16 kilos in weight so far. Uh, through Amazing watching what I eat and, and to watch my health and diet and fitness and all the thing. I've, um, I, I couldn't run more than about 10 minutes. I would say five, 10 minutes and I'd run out of puff, but I'm very happy to say I run my second half marathon recently. So, you know, not record time. I'm not going to win any medals, but for me, I'm only competing against myself. So it's a great sense of achievement, a <laughs> great sense of achievement. So uh, the overwhelm, how do you avoid the overwhelm? And I think there are many tools that we have to bring around us to cope with the number of tasks that we have to do. Um, so keeping filing and paperwork in order. I've, I've got a system called FAB, F -A -B which is oh. 
any, oh, you've got to write this down. Yes. <laughs> any piece of paper that lands on your desk, you know, the tendency is you let it pile up and pile up and pile up and you think, okay, I'll deal with it, I'll deal with it. But the sooner you can apply the fab principle, which is something I invented as a teenager, because all the paper used to come on my desk because I was the only one in the house who could speak English when I was a kid. Right? So he said, well, give it to Rahman, he'll sort it out. So I invented, you can see behind me, I mean, those of you who are watching on video, you'll be able to see behind me, there's my filing system. Um, I have hundreds and hundreds of files. And a lot of my friends, when they come to my house, they put me through the, the 60 second uh, paper finding test. So they'll say anything to me, say, Rahman, can you find your middle kid's birth certificate. And I will find it in 60 seconds. No because way. Half a numerical filing system. I've got an Excel spreadsheet and I just look under B for birth certificate and I find the file number and there it is within 60 seconds, right? So the system I've used to develop this is FAB. F stands for file, A stands for action, and B stands for BIM. So okay. put all the, all the papers, yeah, file, action, BIM. All the paper that ever lands on your desk will only have be in one of those three categories. FAB. Okay. So analyze those papers. So file, you put them in the file, get them away from you. You don't need it in the short term. Action. Yes, these are action items that need to be done. Then you prioritize them. High, medium, low. And you put it onto an app that I use called Wonderlist. Wonderlist wow. is an amazing online app. Uh, it's spelled with a U. So it's W-U-N-D-E-R-L-I-S-T. It's available on your smartphone and your laptop and they synchronize. That's been a great addition to my life. Fantastic. Thank you for that. So as soon as you find things that uh, you have to bin, so junk mail, something you're never going to need again, something which you don't need to action, they, the sooner they go in the bin and stop being in your eye line, the better it is. So the ideal situation is to have an empty desk, have a clean desk, and only your action items should be on your desk at any one stage. File filing stuff should be in there in the files. The bin stuff should be in the bin, and there you go. So that's one of the ways that I've organized my life, and I try to cope the best I can with my with my overwhelm. Amazing. I've been. Uh, I, I uh, now I know what's happening with me. I've been missing the B. <laughs> I've been holding all the paperwork. Lots of stuff that you don't. You will never ever need but it's not gone in the bin yet. <laughs> no, 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 I've got years of uh, paper. I have a shredder on my desk, so I don't even put it in the bin. I mean, I, I shred the damn thing. You know, I never want to see that again. <laughs> but I'm amazed with this, uh, well, this 60 second thing sounds almost like a, like a, you know, a product. <laughs> <laughs> Try me sometime. <laughs> I tell you something, I develop my own in, in, uh, in folders and in my computer, but uh, the, Paperwork, the physical paperwork is the most difficult one. You're right. It would be a lot more efficient if I could get down to scanning everything and putting it online. And I guess that that's a whole project in itself that I may do one day, maybe post-retirement. For, for now, because it's a legacy system and I've been doing it ever since I was a kid. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. The next stage would be just to scan everything, upload it online. And, and that's the next step. I will do that. Yeah, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, I know, but I, I think... think I think it's crazy. I wouldn't scan those things. My God, it's too much to do, right? Too much to scan. <laughs> I'll subcontract it to an Indian firm or something and get them to do it for five. That's that's better. I should. I should. Uh, Rangman, uh, I'd love to carry on with you. Not that uh, I actually ran out of uh, uh, questions. I'm realizing, oh my God, I wish I actually wrote down more questions for you. <laughs> 
No, it's been uh, a real, real pleasure. I, I, you know, I love connecting with people and isn't the power of the internet and podcasting amazing that I'm oh, sitting there in Dharan, Saudi Arabia. You're sitting there in Mill Hill, London, and we're sharing experiences. We're sharing ideas. And I hope that your listeners, you know, get something out of this and, you know, whatever the gold so. nuggets that we've managed to discuss. And, uh, you know, it doesn't need to stop here. We can, uh, we can always talk again. Uh, I love it. Just the beginning of a great relationship. And why don't you come and be a, po- a guest on my podcast so we can continue the conversation. Oh, anytime, anytime. <laughs> I'd love to know what gets, what gets an architect excited. <laughs> <laughs> I miss you going in that way as well. When, <laughs> pra- when, yeah. mood. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last building you designed in, in a bad mood? I'd like to see that. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't go well. <laughs> no, I imagine you wouldn't. <laughs> So, Raymond, I, I love your work. I acknowledge the amazing difference you're making to many people's life uh, with your way of being, your stand-up comedy, and your contribution on how to be an engaging and inspiring public speaker. Uh, I'm so thrilled to have you here in my also early stage of my podcasting. Thank you very much for being here, uh, Raymond. Uh, it's been a real pleasure for me. I wish you all the very best with your podcasting and, uh, you know, all the best. Well done. Thank you, Ricardo. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. And you. Take care.